Chapter 4, Hide and Seek. Pick up two dice. Now roll them. If the number rolled adds up to 10, 11, or 12, I die on the operating table. That's essentially what the doctors at the Mater Hospital told my parents when they discussed the operation they were planning. The operation is crucial, one doctor said. It's vital in ways that go beyond your son's physical health, another said. Please understand, though, there's a significant chance Robert could die while we're operating. Humans are like social Legos. We connect together with families. We build lives with friends. On our own, we're just one piece. When we come together in groups, we make amazing things. Our admission ticket into these groups is not our thoughts or our feelings. Our faces are our tickets. Our faces let us look out and know others and let them know us. Doctors had done a small operation just after I was born to remove the tumor that split the middle of my face and caused my facial deformities. It meant I was left with no nose at all and with nostrils drilled into the flat center of my face. Plus, my eyes still sat more than twice as far apart as they should have been. They were so far apart I couldn't use both of them to focus on any one thing at the same time. If I wanted to look closely at something like a toy or a book, I either had to pick it up and move it around to the side of my head or turn my head to bring one eye in line with it. It also meant I couldn't judge distances properly. Without this depth of perception, I wouldn't be able to catch a ball. I would forever be walking into walls. The doctors were worried my face would prove a huge problem when I ventured beyond the safe walls of Fortress Hogue and into the big wide world. They were concerned that my stand-out-in-a-crowd face might make me afraid to go out in public, let alone do things like talk to people. Without some facial surgery, I might play the perfect game of hide-and-seek and never, never emerging to make friends. Any surgery would need to be done well before I started school to give me time to recover. But the bone structure in a baby's head is as chaotic as a busy road during peak hour. Bone plates move and grow over time, with the skull eventually forming a thick, solid layer of protection around the brain. Any operations done on my bones might stop them growing properly and mean the whole thing would fail. The doctors decided the best time to operate would be when I was about four and a half years old. By then, the underlying structure of my face would be set and I'd have plenty of time to recover before school. Slowly and surely, the doctors drew their plans to carve up my cranium, move some pieces around, toss away the chunks they didn't need, and put some new stuff in for good measure. They'd move my eyes closer together, reposition my nostrils, and build me a new nose from the ground up. All that medical magic would give me a new face that was more acceptable to society. But the magic trick came with a catch. It was major surgery, a type of operation hardly ever performed anywhere in the world, let alone a nation as small as Australia. The doctors could not be sure how long the intricate surgery would take, but they were expecting it would be up to six hours. That meant lots of risks. Being put under general anesthetic for so long presents a risk of brain damage. Next up was the chance of infection, which is especially high when bone is being cut and moved around. Any operation on the face also means lots of bleeding. Combine the risks meant the operation could kill me. The chance of Robert dying while we operate is as high as one in four, the doctor said. I'd had six operations since I was born, but none was anywhere near as risky as this one. To complicate things even more, my doctors told mom and dad they wanted to amputate my right foot at the same time. It was a sad blow. An operation on my right ankle hadn't worked. The doctor said I'd be better off with two artificial legs rather than having just one and a deformed foot that didn't reach the ground properly. Instead of just disposing of the foot, though, the doctors wanted to use cartilage from the toes to build me a new nose. The doctors put the question to my parents. Given all the benefits and all the risks, would they give the go-ahead for the surgery? Dad was a gambler and understood the odds the doctors gave him. He didn't want to roll those dice. 
No, he said. No operation to make Robert look better is worth one in four chance of him dying. Why not? Mom asked. Dad told her he was never one to be concerned about pride of appearance, as he called it. What use was there in being slightly less ugly and dead? Mom wanted to go ahead despite the risk. She thought it needed to be done to give me a fair chance at a normal social life. My parents argued back and forth. For months, the question remained unresolved. With the help of the doctors, Mom mounted a strong case and moved Dad from a definite no to a probably not. He'd go no further. Eventually, the issue came to a head. The, doc- the hospital only needed a signature of one parent to do the surgery. Mom told Dad that if he said no, she would consider leaving him and taking me with her to the decision would be all hers. She had gone from being a new mother who did not want to see her baby, let alone bring him home to someone who would put everything on the line for his future. Mom wasn't trying to blackmail Dad. She was just showing him how strongly she believed that the operation was worth the risk. Blackmail wouldn't have 